0: I want to talk about coveting today or let's translate it into modern English, I want, I must have and look you can put anything up there, Um, it might be talking about I want to be famous on the internet, I want and, and for me, I would love to have the latest video card for my computer. But, <laughs> you're getting thumbs up at the back. <gasps> whatever it is, it's that feeling of I want. And insert whatever you like in there. Because I'm seeking something. There's something um, that I'm missing, that I need for my fulfilment. I need it to make me happy. You know, I I won't be happy unless I have this. Um, Because something's missing in my life. And it's the best video card that's currently available. And unfortunately, next year, there'll be a better one. So if I get this one now, does that mean I have to wait two years to get the next one or should I just go and get the next one anyway? You get the idea. All right? And really, when you think about covetousness, and the definition here has been written in such a way that it's primarily focused on possessions. Um, I'm going to argue that that's probably not quite accurate. But it does encompass that very much so. And that's its strong desire to acquire something, whatever it happens to be. And it can be possessions, it can be a whole range of things. And there's a secondary one to it as well, and it kind of reflects the way people go about it. I'm going to climb all over you to get to the top. That sort of idea of I'm going to treat how I'm going to treat other people in my pursuit of whatever it is, and that can lead to things like exploitation, etc. Um, so what sort of things do we cover? Um, we know video cuts, um, but there's a whole range of things. Um, Some people, it's clothing, it's jewellery, it's cars, it's computers, it's watches, it's bikes, it's jobs, it's promotions, it's um, being famous on the internet, it's all sorts of things. But something that's going to make me complete, interesting there's one missing on that but we'll get to that in a little while. So how do I tell if I'm coveting? Um is there a little magic sign that comes up warning, coveting um, little red light flashing lights on the top? Uh, we wish. In Exodus, part of the, um, the, the ten commandments that were originally given, um, God addressed this and, and just look at the range of things he covers. He says, You shall not covet or desire after your neighbour's house, shall not cover your neighbour's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbour's. And if you think about particularly in those days, what was the um, the the banks didn't exist. So what was the main measure of how wealthy you were, for example, was what you had. But notice it's not just the bits and pieces. It's like wanting the, the neighbour's wife. Oh, you've got a better wife than me, you know, I'm going to trade mine in and get a new one. Um, I, want, I want this because, you know, somehow that's going to make me complete. That's going to fill in everything that I'm missing. Alright, so you, and again, you can sort of see the range of things that this sort of idea covers. And some of the telltale signs. We often get things we don't really need. Um, Why do we do it? Because we see somebody else has got it. Very back much back to that Old Testament command. But they've got one. Um, I must have it uh, um, after pay. After pay was invented for people to covet. All right? Because even if you can't afford it, let's have it now. Um, it's the latest. It's the greatest. It matches my whatever else that I bought last week. Um, and we come up with all sorts of wonderful excuses. But it was on sale. It's, it's this limited sale and if I don't buy it now, I'm not going to get it. Um, you know, everybody else is doing it. Everyone's got one, except me. Um, it's just this once. Uh, I, w- I won't do it next week. Yeah, see how long that lasts. Why? Because some, something I'm not satisfied with it. Um, I'm not satisfied with what I've got now. And this is going to fix it. All right? It's, it's going to make me happy. Um, and, and I make excuses for why I need it. All, right? All sorts of excuses. Now, if I had one of those, just think what I could do for God. All right. If God gave me the winnings from Tats Lotto, which I've got no idea what that currently is, Just think of how much benevolence I could do. And can you, I don't know if anybody's ever tried that one, but um, (laughs) the idea of I can justify what I'm doing by working God into there somehow. And that isn't to say that um, you can't use the things that you've got for God. You obviously can. God says, do it. But the difference is, it's not the real reason I'm getting it. It's the excuse. Oh yeah, I want to buy this. Now what can I use to justify it? And It's the other way around. Rather than God's blessed me with it, how can I use it for God? And really, you think about it, it's because I want, not because I want to... Um, I've got to be careful here. I want to serve God. I'm serving God and how can I serve God? And and that's really what the difference is. Um, So part of this is look at the reasons why you think that that needs to be bought or whatever it is. Um, Do I really need it? Are these excuses or the real reason? So what was my first consideration? And again, I'm talking about material things, particularly in some of those questions. But let me give you an example um, and I've heard this one from someone. Um, I need to do this first and then once I've done that, then I can do that for God. Right. Why? Because this is more important. And as soon as I get that organised, then I'll be able to get to God. And guess what happens when someone does that? Well, actually, there's something else that I need to do first as well. And and then there's something else that I need to do first. And guess what kind of gets pushed to the back? I'm going to come back and talk about that more in a bit. Let me give you an example. And again, I'm trying to pick examples that are the biggest range of things. Amnon. Um, And I'm picking it up in 2 Samuel 13, 1-2. After this, Absalom the son of David had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar and Amnon the son of David loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick for she was a virgin and it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. Just think about it. I want to the point where I'm getting sick because I want, I must have, He's coveting his sister, and um, I think the word love there should be lust rather than love in our understanding. And it's all he can think about it consumed him um, to the point that it became sick. And I'm not going to go through all the gory details, but basically, he ends up raping her. And then it's interesting to watch the flip. This thing that he must have becomes I don't want anything to do with you, destroys. A life to get what he wants and what? It's nothing. Can't stand the sight of her afterwards. So, this thing that he must have, and yet describes her as that his hatred was, and with which he hated her, was greater than the love which he had loved her. And he said, just be gone. Something a little bit more pleasant. Solomon. And I've got to give credit for Daniel for this from Toowoomba because it just fitted so well. Ecclesiastes 2, 1-2. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? And basically in Ecclesiastes 2, what he sets out to do is give my heart whatever it wants. So in verse 2, he talks about pleasure. Verse 3, he talks about wine. Verse 4, great accomplishments. Look at the things I've done. Get into servants. I've got more servants than anybody else. Wealth, singers, musical instruments to the point where he had more than anybody. So can you imagine just the stuff? If you just let your heart go and say, look, whatever I want, I'm just going to get. And I'm king and I can do it. And what was the great result of this experiment? Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure for my heart rejoiced in all my labour and this was my reward for all my labour. I deserved it. I did all this. I deserved it. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and on the labour in which I had told and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. So that idea was basically, here's this great thing. I'm going to see how fulfilling all this stuff is. I'm just going to let myself go. Anything I want, I'm going to get. And the conclusion, if I rewrite that vanity and stuff into modern English, it was a big waste of time. Did it satisfy? No. Didn't give him what he was looking for. And in fact, quite often the outcomes of coveting um, are exactly the opposite of what we expect. Amnar and Tamar, David and Bathsheba, David coveting after Bathsheba. What did that result in? Murder, cover up. Micah in two talks about they covet fields and take them by violence and also houses and seize them and they oppress a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. Oppression. Micah 3-1, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, her prophets divine for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come among us. And if you think about it, I'm only going to do my job because you pay me. It's called bribery in most countries. And so justice is up for hire. Alright? Services of God up for hire. You want me to tell you what the future is? Pay up. couple more. Proverbs 11.1 1. Dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Remember when we talked about the definition, the idea of we will um, often result in people exhort, uh, extorting other people, oppressing them? How do you do that? Well, you just modify your scales a bit. So when they buy a pound of flour, how much do they get? 0.95 pounds. I just make a little bit of extra money. Get the idea. Those who oppress the poor to increase his riches. Those who give to the rich will surely come to poverty. Isn't it interesting that um, some of the outcomes you think of just this is going to be so satisfying, and yet it isn't. Oppression, denying of justice, corruption, uh, and poverty when you're seeking riches. So, what do we do? Colossians three one to seven. If you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God set your mind on things above not on things of the earth for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God when Christ who is our life appears then you will also appear with him in glory therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires and covetousness which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves also walked when you lived in them. So what's the problem? Where's our focus? On me, on the world, the things that I have in this world. What's the solution? Get your mind off that stuff, get it on God. Get, focus on the things above, the important things. Why? Because we've died to these things. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We've put them to death. We now live with a different motivation. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 to 10. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we will carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, we shall be content. But with those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown it in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And again, I don't want to focus just on the money side of it. All right? But you get the idea of the first part of it is really where the second part is coming from. We brought nothing into this world. We can't carry anything out. So guess what? everything in this world then becomes temporary. Somebody else is going to get it. What's the eternal stuff? The things above. So what should we be here? Content. Happy with what we've got. What I've got does not define me. Contrary to the internet, what I look like doesn't define me. What clothes I wear doesn't define me. It's not important. Things of God are important. It doesn't mean walk around with a sack, but don't put that focus on these things. We're not into the things of this world. Example, Paul. Philippians 3, 4 to 8. So Paul, in his reflecting back on his achievements under the Jewish system, if anyone thinks he had more confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the sock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin. So, circumcised on the right day. Tick. One of the faithful tribes, not those southern uh, northerners. Tick. Hebrew of Hebrews. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Tick. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I was in there, I was... Forefront, leading the charge. Tick. Concerning righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now you think of just the amazing claim. I am blameless in the law. Tick. And what are they worth? For these things... uh, But the things were gained to me that I have counted loss for Christ... Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Uh, Rubbish is polite, by the way. All of these great achievements, Paul said, are worthless. They're rubbish. They're the stuff you throw in the bin. Why? Because of the relationship of um, what Christ wants, they have no value. And contentment has that idea of that condition in life where no aid or support is needed. I'm happy with what I've got. Sufficiency of the necessities of life. A mind that's content with its lot because it's focused on something else. So being satisfied. All right? not that desire for more which can lead to the evil and end up losing your salvation. And Paul, as he said, all those achievements he had under the Jewish system, count them as rubbish. The other thing I want to bring up, just it's interesting when you think of that passage um, that we referred to in Colossians, covetousness is equated with idolatry. And you can already start to see why. You think about um, the first three commandments under Exodus. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make any images. You should treat my name as holy. And that was summarised very nicely in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 and 5. And we sing a song about this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Jesus repeated it in the commandments when came up to him and said, What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gave two. First, love your Lord your God with all your heart and soul and your strength. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. So God then becomes number one priority above everything else because how can you love God with all your heart or your soul or your mind if God is constantly being put down under something else? Has to be, has to rank above everything. So God is the focus of my energy, my thinking, my love, etc. He's the one that we trust in and you can go back countless examples in the Old Testament. Marching around the walls of Jericho. Who here thinks that if I blow a few trumpets and walk around in a circle um, that walls fall down? Great military strategy, nothing to do with that. God knocked them down, they had to trust God. They had to put their trust in God and God delivered. Like he said he would. All right? He is the one that we seek comfort one. He is the one that provides our needs, who gives us contentment, who gives us the purpose and fulfilment in our lives. But what we tend to do is we tend to substitute God for other things. But this will make my life complete. And guess what? It doesn't. Solomon proved it. All of that, and he proved that... you. All these other things we like to substitute for God, don't. And, not only that, it's constantly pulling our focus back onto the things around us. The things that we value above all else. Where is our energy devoted? Is it the things that we have? The things that we've collected? The things that we place our trust in? I can retire now because I've got enough money. Or... God will provide the things I need. Is it the things we seek to provide that contentment or comfort? Or is it that we look to God for contentment, for comfort? He's the one who brings us the satisfaction in our lives here. The things we seek because they're important to us, that's where our focus is. And if it's my bits and pieces here and now, well, guess what? I'm focused on the things of this world. If not then I'm focused on the earthly things. Oh, sorry, the heavenly things, rather. So, earthly things, that's where covetous leads us to. Becomes that competition, that replacement for God. Think back to Timothy. This desire after money leads us into all sorts of evil. Look at some of the examples that we have. And then it becomes a choice between God and um, everything else we have. Matthew 19, Now behold, one came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honour your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I've kept from my youth, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when the young man heard the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And as I said, it comes down to a choice between the things of this world and God and who wins that tells you where your focus is for him it was on the things that he had and, and you think about it who here could sit there and say I have kept these commandments from my youth it's quite an achievement right? but yet his focus was on something else and he says, you lack one thing. These things are a hindrance to you. Get rid of them. And he didn't because they were more important than God. So coveting, it's not just—it's not being content with what we've got but wanting something else, something to fulfil us, something, whatever the justification is and you can think of oodles of those but it focuses our mind on the things of this world displaces God as being number one and becomes idolatry. But rather, we should be content, satisfied with what you've got. Looking to God for that satisfaction. Looking to God, trusting in God. Be heavenly focused. Um, be what Jesus said as 12 years old. Do you not did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Is that what we say? I must be about my father's business. Or am I thinking about what the latest what of whatever is? It? When I think I want something, ask yourself, how does this help with God? My service to God. Do I why do I really want it? And is it going to be a hindrance? to my spiritual walk with God.